Well, we begin International News Digest in the European Union. Uh, the European Commission Vice President Franz Timmermans on Wednesday warning member states to either accept their fair share of refugees or face repercussions, saying it was unfair that countries such as Greece and Italy were being overburdened by the flow of migrants while other countries were turning them away. The EU, the EU did agree to a refugee quota deal back in September 2015 after a uh, drawn-out battle lasting many months, but it has since faced bitter opposition from several European countries, seeing the move as an attack on their sovereignty and fostering anti-EU sentiments across the continent. To give us some more analysis on this, very pleased to have joining us from Vesalius College in Brussels, political science professor Joachim Koops. Hello. Hello. Very pleased to be on. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Professor. Uh, First, um, the uh, European Union falling short of its uh, refugee resettlement target. Uh, For those of us here in Asia, in South Korea, uh, why has it proven to be so difficult to uh, relocate the uh, migrants as as agreed to previously? I think it has to be seen also in historical context. It's always been a very uh, tricky and and thorny issue, Um, both common asylum policies, but also now in particular since 2004 with increasing um, influx of of, of refugee um, applications um, to have a kind of fair burden sharing. The the EU's legal framework always foresaw the so-called Dublin II agreement that um, the country where a refugee sets foot on first would be the country that has to deal with it. Mm. That, of course, uh, puts um, those countries at the forefront at uh, the Mediterranean Sea, such as Greece and Italy, but also Portugal and Spain, uh, and, and tiny little island of Malta, at, at you know at a disadvantage. While northern countries or countries not surrounded by Mediterranean Sea, um, you know, have less burden. So that was always a kind of tension: um, how to deal with this. Um, and you see that now that of course Greece has to deal with a massive uh, um, influx uh, and the same. Italy and the other countries essentially, um, you know, uh, are in, in a sense quite um, happy not to see the burden falling on them. So what the Commission has been trying uh, for the last two years is to get the member states to agree to a kind of new and fair burden sharing of um, resettling different um, refugees. It has been very modest, even the target of the EU. It was um, agreed in 2016 that you would have at least 160,000 asylum seekers from Greece and Italy to be redistributed to the other remaining um, EU countries. Um, But uh, by the end of 2016, um, only around 9,000 asylum seekers have been relocated. So there are really big problems. It's a question of fairness uh, Mm. amongst European countries, but also, of course, uh, alleviating the pressure on the authorities in Greece and Italy, which simply cannot cope. When when he talks about repercussions, uh, what kind of penalties uh, does he mean, and are they deemed to be severe enough that uh, they would get the member states to cooperate, or are they more of a slap on the wrist? Yeah, so I think now the commission is really between a rock and a hard place. Um, you know, on the one hand, there is, I would say, you know, liberal elements in Europe are accusing the European Commission or the European Union of doing too little, of essentially ignoring, you know, uh, human rights and the credibility of the European Union as, as you know, a, mm. human rights respecting uh, actor is kind of at stake. On the other hand, you have, uh, you know, resistance of member states that are uh, pandering towards far-right populism and anti 
immigration sentiment. And the Commission had to kind of always, because it is dependent on member states, um, navigate carefully. So it's quite uh, significant that now the Commission comes out very boldly and says, uh, you know what, you are actually, it's not just your, your choice, but you're now in infraction of a European Union um, agreement. Uh, and so we will treat this as any kind of uh, broken EU rule, mm. and we can levy on on member states that are in infringement or don't, you know, um, uh, fulfil the obligations. Um, fines, financial fines, uh, financial penalties, um, like you do with any other um, basic infraction of of EU law. Now. Um, the big question is then, of course, uh, to what extent member states react to it. Uh, right. It could well be that a group of member states, especially in Central Eastern Europe, might simply resist it, um, come out strongly and oppose uh, the Commission's rulings um, as yeah, infringing on their sovereign, sovereign rights. So it's all about uh, yeah, the reaction of member states and their compliance. But I think the fact that the Commission is coming out now with um, you know, the clear threat of punishment of its own member states um, is significant. As far as politicians are concerned um, and their instinct for self-survival, if it's a choice between paying a fine, even if it's a hefty fine, but if they see what's been going on with Brexit, what potentially may happen in France with Le Pen and then this rising sort of uh, right-wing sentiment, uh, maybe anti-immigrant, mm-hmm. anti-migrant sentiment, that uh, perhaps for them it is more expedient to, to flout this uh, if it means that they can keep their jobs. Absolutely. I think um, you, you can expect three types of reactions. You can see those on the far right that are even um, hoping to gain more power, uh, yeah, not only Le Pen in France, but also think about the far right movement of the AFD in Germany. They will really see this as you know, a walk in the park, a, a gift from the Commission for their own, uh, well, let's call it propaganda. They will mm. simply say, uh, not only are we going to be flooded by migrants here, but look at the EU, it's an you know, anti-democratic, uh, supranational bureaucratic monster, and so on and so forth. So it's a win-win for, for the far right, because they can play off their two favorite subjects, uh, anti-EU sentiment amongst the population and anti-migrants. Uh, so that, that, that's certainly going to be exploited on that side. Um, those in government, those holding government positions right now, will watch it very carefully how to position themselves. And there are two options. You can either, uh, you know, go for a humanitarian pro-EU position and you might lose some of the votes to the far right um, or you pander towards the right. So it really depends now. I think it's it's decision time now for European leaders uh, and especially across across the big so-called big states um, to to, to take a stance here because it's not just only an election issue uh, or, or, you know, it's, it's really about the, the future of the European project um, and, and basic values of humanity and I think solidarity. But um, that's nice and easy for me to say as, mm. a, as an academic here. Of course, for politicians, this is, um, this is a hard choice for their own jobs, office and the future of their country. So it's going to be tricky and, and it will probably backfire in some countries um, and will help um, some of the far-right uh, leaders to make their case even stronger. The uh, 
European fiscal crisis a few years back where we had these troubled nations, uh, including Greece, and this talk about a Grexit and whether uh, the uh, union would stay together uh, with the back and forth of the creditor nations and IMF and and the debtor nations, Mm -hmm. and then uh, the idea of Brexit being a catalyst of uh, maybe triggering a collapse of the EU. Do you feel this right now, this specific issue of member states and allowing in uh, refugees, this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back? I think it contributes to the, the clear rift and tensions um, between, you know, pro-European uh, sentiment and anti. And I think the Commission has been, on, and the European project has been on the back foot, uh, as you rightly said, since the financial crisis. Um, you know, Brexit uh, is really, I think, something that shakes people in Brussels mm. and across the EU because, it, you know, you can't say this time you know, as you always would say, as an EU analyst, well, there always have been crises in the last 60 years, but each crisis helped the EU to, to move together even further. This crisis really is uh, different, if you pardon the cliche, because it's the first time a member state really decides to leave the European project, and not just simply any member state, but it's a core member state, such as uh, Britain. So um, that, of course, as a context, means there is a kind of alertness and nervousness about anything um, related to, to, to European integration. And, of course, the migration issue is something that gets easily exploited by those factions and parties that are already on an anti-EU ticket. So it's a kind of, you know, it's a kind of multiplying effect here. Mm. Uh, those issues reinforce uh, each other. Is it going to break the camel's back? Is it going to mean, you know, the unraveling of the entire EU? You know, I, I am still optimistic from where I sit um, in terms of, you know, there will have to be some leadership movement from those countries that are more moderate. And, you know, many eyes are looking towards Berlin and Germany. It all depends in many ways on the German election this year. Um, the French election will be before that, which is, of course, the decisive. Um, and it may well be that, that the EU gets um, shaken up further. Uh, be that as it may, I don't think um, it will be the entire uh, dissolution or, or end of the European uh, project. It just um, gets just Right. Very, very tough and, and, and uh, also very, very difficult job for the European Commission itself. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for the insights, uh, Professor. Really appreciate it. We're going to have to leave it there. Many thanks. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye.